Welcome to the Culture Proof Podcast. We appreciate you listening. You are here for a part two of yesterday's episode where we were talking about where secularization begins and how we can actually identify when and where our kids are walking away from the faith and choosing to no longer believe in Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty uh, striking to look at. Mm -hmm. It it does something to you when you think about uh, this information was out years ago. Yes. But what what did we do with it as as Christian parents, you know, and we're looking at this now and a lot of things are manifesting. It's like, man, you know, but we've known about this for a while. Yeah, let 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 us not be guilty of doing that now, you know, 15 years later. Um, and I'm just looking at Ken Ham's information from out in 2009 because it was when it first got on my radar to yeah. actually start thinking about the fact that we have young people who, while they're in church, are not actually in the faith mm. or they have rejected aspects of the faith that, I mean, if I could just say it simply, are non-negotiable. Like you yeah. can't actually reject those aspects of the faith and still be considered in the faith. So we want to get back into this article. The article that sparked the conversation is Lyman Stone's piece, which you can find over at Institute for Family Studies. Of course, in every podcast, if we're talking about an article, we're going to put a link to that article in the show notes so you can find it right in the show notes here, just in case there are any questions about where we got it. Mm -hmm. Before we do that, how about a little bit of culture-proof housekeeping? Yes, sure. Make sure that you're uh, sharing the podcast, if you will. Uh, If you are liking the content that's coming out, please share with a friend, with your family, with whoever. Uh, it would just uh, do us uh, a good solid if you did that. <laughs> did that, and and so we we appreciate you sharing the podcast. Also, if you would give it a five star rating, I re- I read some of the reviews. I was like, man, praise so God, encouraging. Thank praise you so God. much. You know, thank you so much for the for sharing those reviews. Um, but also, you can do that and give it a five star rating. That would help out a lot as well. And then leave comments. We love that you guys are engaged. Mm-hmm. We love to read the comments and we try to answer as best we can. So continue to leave comments if you can. And I want to say this too. So many people have reached out to us and asked how they could uh, support us financially. We really do appreciate that. So if you go to cultureproof.net, mm-hmm. you will find an opportunity to give and support this ministry. Um, right on the page there, cultureproof.net, you'll see a tab for support. If you click on that, you'll see two options. You can support the podcast or you can support SE, that's Straight Edge Ministry. So that is the ministry, the nonprofit that we have um, that helps to fund the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So if you want to support that, support goes directly to what we're doing here right. with the Culture Proof Podcast. Yes. Also, if you're listening and you say, well, I would like to send a gift and I don't do things electronically, then we want to also make that available to you. You can mail us snail mail. Some people take offense at snail mail. <laughs> um, it's even slower these days, by the way. <laughs> right. But P.O. Box 1269, P.O. Box. Box 1269, and that is in Saltillo, S-A-L-T-I-L-L-O, Mississippi, 38866. So if you are inclined to send a gift in that way, then you can do that by by way of mail. And then also, of course, if you go to cultureproof.net, I want to say humbly, um, but make sure that it's very clear, we appreciate your support. Yes. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. God bless everyone who's given and those who will give. Yeah, we couldn't do it. Like, literally, we couldn't do it without your financial support. The Lord has enabled us to do this because of sponsors, but also because of the commitment of our listeners. And so we want to say a huge thank you so much for that. Again, cultureproof.net. If you have any questions, you can also email us, cultureproofme, cultureproofme 
at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you want to put the emphasis on that. Culture proof <laughs> me, culture proof me. But anyway, <laughs> but that's the email address, all of that stuff. Um, the information will get back to us and we'll respond to you um, as much as we can and yes. as often as we can. Yes. So, all right, let's get back into this. Looking at Lyman Stone's article here, secularization begins at home. One of the the, the points that we left off on yesterday was Youth secularization accounts for almost all secularization. And I think this is something that many of us have denied. It's sort of the what's going on with all of these adults, like what what's mm-hmm. happening in our culture. Mm-hmm. But really, the question we should be asking is what's happening with our kids? Yeah, definitely, because that's that gives us the, indi- the indication of what's really going on. Uh, and it's sad that, you know, a lot of parents have, may think one way that, oh, no, we're doing it and our kids are in Christ and they're thriving. But the children themselves are saying, oh, no, I don't really care about all exactly. of that. Man, that's so sad when you think about it. Yeah. And I think many parents don't want to think about it. I, I think it's, it's scary enough for us that we don't want to consider that even with our best effort, and, and I, I would question that it's our best effort. I think mm. that there's a lot of effort, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not sure that it it could be rightly defined as our best well, effort. Well, I think some of the efforts have been misplaced. It's been a, a trust and a kind of outsourcing to, mm. you know, others to do the work, mm-hmm. you know, that there has, has been a care, <laughs> you know, and I think parents do care about the spiritual growth of their children. But the, the way that we've gone about it is like in the wrong way, kind of like taking it away from the home and putting it on the mm. church and on youth pastors and things like that. And that's not the way. No, that's such a great point. And listen, I understand that that is upsetting to a lot of us because these are the methods mm-hmm. that we thought worked. Yeah. We almost right. saw these methods as guaranteed results. Mm. And now what we realize is that though the methods were good methods, they were not taken directly from scripture. Mm-hmm. And so if we want guaranteed results, and we've said this in other instances referring to other topics, but mm-hmm. we cannot use the world's methods and expect biblical results. We've Only the Bible That's is right. the Bible. That's right. Even if you've got good ideas from men, right? Only the Bible is the Bible. And so if you want biblical results, then we've got to employ the straight edge of God's word at every turn Amen. in our life. So getting back to this article, Lyman Stone writing here, For the Institute for Family Studies, he says, by now, it should be clear that childhood, including before age 13, is the key battleground for religious formation, not adulthood. Mm. By the time a child goes to college, much of the religious question has already been settled. And you were referring to this yesterday when we were in campus uh, ministry. Yeah. You actually saw this in real time that yeah. kids were coming to campus that we had known that they grew up in a Christian family. Yeah. They were even active in their youth group. Yeah. And so you're like, oh, well, we're just going to plug them right in. Yeah. But turns out they didn't want to be plugged in. They didn't want to be plugged in. And look, I'm going to take it a step further. They were even some of them were homeschooled. Mm, and so, yes. if you, want, you know, because that's that's another big thing as well. So I, I think. When we when we saw that, what we thought we would see was was ready made leaders mm-hmm. that would be able to come in and and just take positions within the, the campus ministry. But what we found out was some of them didn't even want to be a part. They were no. kind of like ducking and dodging, and it's yeah. like man, you'd really? have to chase after them, right? And, and we didn't expect that. No, really didn't. And and man, and I and I think it's so important for us to acknowledge that they were homeschooled. And I say that from inside the homeschooling community, if you will, mm-hmm. because. We have a certain set of convictions and a certain set of beliefs that actually fuel the reasons why we homeschool. And I think that this is very instructive for many homeschooling parents. Many of us are not homeschooling out of convenience. Mm. 
Many of us are not homeschooling because we just want a better educational option, right? Like some of those things may be true, but the overarching reason that we're homeschooling is because we want to see Christ formed in our children. So if you've got kids who are graduating homeschool and then Christ is not formed in them, then this becomes a huge problem that we cannot ignore in the body of Christ. No, that's that's right. That's why we got to make sure that we don't have... Something about homeschooling in our mind that's not right, that's mm-hmm. not that's incorrect, you know, that is salvific or that, yes. you know, just by virtue of us doing that, everything is going to be all right. No, it still takes work. It takes discipleship work. That's a great point. I'm getting back to this article here. Lyman Stone says, there's virtually no change in religiosity across cohorts for individuals born in the 50s. 60s and 70s. So now he's talking about the generations and he's talking about the secularization of the generations. He points to a modest difference in some given periods that are generally not very significant or durable. Mm -hmm. But for the 1980s birth cohort, so you get through sort of like a, there's a, a, steady or a stable kind of like religious influence among those from the 50s, the 60s and the 70s. But again, when you get to the 1980s cohort, there's some decline between early adulthood, ages 28 and 30, but not a great deal. However, for the 1990s, those kids, and I think this data is so important for us, those kids born in the 1990s, mm-hmm. they begin as adults or began as adults with a minority confident belief in God. Wow. Wow. A minority confident belief in God. Kids Hmm. born in the 1990s didn't lose their faith as adults. They had already lost it in their childhood. There was little to no change in belief in God for 1990s kids between ages 18 and 20 and 28 and 30. Now, in other words, Mm -hmm. the decline in religiosity we've seen across America in the 2000s and the 2010s, and especially among young people, isn't driven by a loss of faith among adults in that period. It appears to be driven by a failure by parents to pass on the faith in the 1990s and 2000s. But it seems, though, as though you have to go back further. I mean, because even if it if it uh, began to happen in the 90s, that decline like that, mm. but what of the, the parents in the 80s? It, it 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 comes from generations yes. down. Like yes. it, it, and so even though we see like fifties, sixties, oh, they were still, you know, but somewhere in there, you know, it, there was a decline. There was a, a going away from the family mm-hmm. into more of a structuralized thing, like bringing the church, sending mm-hmm. the church and youth group and things like that. And the home became less and less uh, important. The focal point. It, yeah. It, the 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 kitchen table became less emphasized and more. You had these external activities that were exalted right we saw we put greater confidence in the youth pastor to do the job that parents were expected to do right and honestly and i I think to your point here what you're acknowledging is that there is a step down this decline is not just this kind of hail mary toss where it just passes through generations and you get to where you are now what you have to acknowledge is that there is a a secularization of sorts that must be happening within the generation yeah yeah, because it, it, you know, what we see in the nineties didn't didn't just pop up. You Correct. Know? So in the eighties, seventies, even though you know some things may have not changed in their generation, 
man, there was the decline happening, you know, un- in the undercurrents. Mm-hmm. And so what we see now is as a result of all of that. Yeah. And, and, and we should expect it to, to worsen man. if we don't do something to stop it. And yeah. so I want to talk about that because I think that Lyman Stone actually has a pretty solid uh, conclusion in this piece here that I think is so instructive for us to, to take note of and to put some legs to. And then after that, I want to, I want to kind of take a, a jog back, if you will, to 2009 and look at what Ken Ham mm. was talking about. Look at what Ken Ham was suggesting, because I think it just cannot escape me that if we had been faithful, if we had been discerning, if we had been vigilant, maybe some of the things that we see in our culture today mm-hmm. would not be. Yeah, You know, far too often we've got these outcries, man, where we are like, Oh Lord, our country. Oh Lord, our country. And there's the, there's the constant looking outside of the family to Mm. say, here's where the problems are to say, here's if we could just get this right. And we refuse to look inside our homes at our own kitchen tables. Well, there was something that happened in the culture too, as far as in, um, Christianity, where I think a lot of the focus begin to be political as well. Yes. And so if we get this right person in, you know, uh, then that will solve the problem. I think, you know, as you have a, a shift, even in that, there's a shift away from the family. Mm. And so th- that poses a big problem as well. Absolutely. So getting back to this article, looking at the conclusion and then toggling over to Already Gone, the book from 2009, um, Lyman Stone writes this, secularization or de-churching in America is proceeding very swiftly and almost entirely through simple generational replacement. Hmm. Millennials are one of the largest birth cohorts in recent history or since, and their parents were uniquely unsuccessful at passing on their faith to their children. As a result, (laughs) huge shares of young adults today had at least nominally religious upbringings, lost Mm. confidence in that religion sometime before the age of 22 and often before age 15, and now form a large mass of today's non-religious adults. Wow. If it's like, man, if we are wondering where the flood of secularism has come from, it's come from our homes. Wow. It, it has, it's flowed out from our homes. It's poured out from our homes when we have, launched these kids out. And this is so tragic to me, right? Like we say Mm. that our kids are arrows and we want to shoot them out and, you know, we want to be specific and we have a, we want to see them go and fulfill what God has for them. What this data suggests to me very strongly is that we have shot out dull arrows Mm. or arrows that have no points or they Mm. have no aim. And certainly worse among all of the possibilities as this data suggests they did not know christ it can cause you to lament because i was just uh thinking what if we had you know really done the work where would we be today like where would this country be today like what where what would the uh, the church look like today if that it was taken seriously in in 2009 or Mm. before then but because basically what we're looking at is the commandments that's given out in the word already laid out in god's word in god's word yeah i mean he impressed upon the, the the children of israel Time after time after time, how important it is that their children would grow up in, in, in the ways of, of God, mm-hmm. you know. And so if we would have followed that model all the way through, man, where would this country be even right now? Man, I can only imagine. And I, I will say this. I think we would be in the place that many of us are crying out for us to be. 
Yeah. We despise the secularization of our nation. We really do. We despise the decline of morality in our country. And and I think that people are really sincere in that. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. that that's a, oh, yeah. a pretend, you know, kind of disdain. I think that we're really sincere in that, but we are unwilling to put in the work to get where we want to be. I think there's an unwillingness, but also there's been a focus on the wrong things as the solution. Oh, yes. You, you know That's what I'm good. saying? Like That's we, good. It's so easy to look at this and that and this program or this political mm-hmm. thing or whatever and not say, man, hold on, let's go to the scriptures, to mm-hmm. the straight edge and see where we've messed up and then take a look at the home. Take man. a look at, take a inward look. And, and it, it kind of hurts to look inward like yeah, that it as does. well. It does. You don't because really it, do that, it makes you, you know? responsible right. rather than them. Right. It's it's right. so much easier to fight them right. than it is me. Right. Yeah. Like I don't I don't want to fight against my own comfort. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fight against my own luxury. I think about, you know, when we see bills being introduced um, that are going to govern this country, when we see them become laws mm-hmm. and we are fighting. So then we come up with like a counter bill. We want we want a law that's going to, you know, sort of get us into a better place. Mm-hmm. I think about it, it's like, you know, continuing to clean up water that's flooding without going to the source of the flood. Mm-hmm. Like you keep right. throwing down towels, you keep trying to sop up the water, right. but you're not going to the source of the flood. So in in other words, what I'm saying is if you continue to produce wicked politicians and those politicians are coming from your home, mm. then you should expect wicked bills and wicked laws to be passed in this country. Right. If you want to stop that happening, then you've got to grow better people. <laughs> you've got to grow moral people. You've got to grow people who have a fear that. of God in their <laughs> eyes. Right, right. And, and if we're not willing to examine that, then we're actually not going to put in the work to do that. Right. All right. Getting back to Lyman Stone's article here. And uh, and I really am trying to round this out because I want to move on. So for religious people and especially religious parents, this has several important takeaways. And you're talking about secularization happening among our kids. And I really want our listeners to lean in here on this one. Children, even 16 and 17 year olds, are usually not having extremely sophisticated apologetic style arguments. The arguments that persuade children to believe things are not necessarily rationally coherent or compelling. And by the time people are old enough to fully absorb the content of religious debate in their 20s, they tend not to change religion. (laughs) In other words, most of the rise in secularism in America probably doesn't have much to do with any actual deficiency of rational arguments for religion or strength of arguments against it. Now, there, I, I do. I want to contend a little bit here, or maybe contest. I don't know. I, I want to object to what Lyman Stone is saying here okay. because I think, in some ways, he's saying that it's not these deeply rational arguments that's causing our kids to to reject the faith. And I think, in some ways, he's right. And I know where he's going because I read the article, so I know the counterpoint that he's going to make. And I agree with the counterpoint. Mm-hmm. However, what I want to point out is that it doesn't have to be seen as a rational um, religious argument for our kids when they are indoctrinated daily with mm. those things that are antithetical to the faith. You right. see what I'm saying? So, yeah. so you don't have to have like a come and meet me at Berkeley for a discussion on the authority of the Bible when your kids <laughs> are being taught millions of years. Yeah. yeah. When your kids are saying, okay, yeah, I'll grant you that there was a flood, but it was localized. It was in one area and it did not cover mm. the world. 
You know, yeah. so so you don't have to have like a okay atheist, uh, you know, philosopher is coming to Harvard, and you're gonna no. It's in the air that they breathe. Wow. If they're sitting in classrooms every day, then they are being subjected to these arguments without an ability to contest it. So I wow. I want to both yeah, agree. That's, that's good. And disagree that right. they are not receiving an argument against the authority of scripture. Because year after year, day after day, they're being indoctrinated, you know, with these uh, different ideals. And it's happening, you know, it's like the long game. Like yes. it's happening over time. It's not like you're saying, come to this event and we're going to indoctrinate you. Or this big old thing. But it's happening in the course of their lives because they're in those indoctrination Every centers. day for hours wow. on end. Like, and, and, and then even you add to that the media that they are consuming. So Man. you don't need a well-formulated, you know, undermined sort of like approach to to dealing with kids you just need to be consistent you just need wow. to be telling them the same thing every single day for hours and hours at a time mm -hmm. and then they believe that because that is what they are it's like when i when i do presentations mm -hmm. and i talk about the lion's share of time mm -hmm. right whoever has the most time has the most influence and whatever that person who has the most time is going to influence that kid in that's the direction that the kid is going to go wow so what all that in mind as a parent you have to feel like okay i need to take the reins yes because you have the media like you said they have the influence that that that's there then you have the school and we can do something about these things too yes like we don't have to have our children in these schools we don't have to uh let them have just you know the, the media just without any restrictions mm -hmm. so we can do something about that but on top of that should be discipleship yes Yes. Okay. So let's get into that because the snake that we don't detect is something that Lyman Stone, I have to stop myself saying Lyman Beecher, <laughs> Lyman Stone points out here. And I think this is so important. This is worth spending a great deal of time on because mm -hmm. in addition to what I would say are arguments away from truth that are being made in the hearing of our kids every single day, it's happening in schools. It's happening in media. It's happening in social media. It's happening in their little social circles. There is an undetected snake that I think we need to expose here. And this is what Lyman Stone points out. And I want to spend some time here. He talks about childhood socialization. Okay. Now, he says social environments, so school environments that prioritize career and never present religious vocation as an option. When is the last time you heard someone talking about being called to be a pastor? When is the last time you heard someone talking about the work of missionaries? When when is the last time you heard that in a in a in a way that would suggest this is this is a work that God could call you to? Right. Like that's just not even I but I would say I don't think parents even see that as the kind of work wow. that God could call their kids to or that you would want God to call your kids to. Hmm. We'd be perfectly fine with them being a YouTube influencer because we say, hey, at least that might pay the bills. Mm. So this comes down to our value oh, set. What is it that we want? Like, wow. what do we value? If we're not willing to be honest with that, then we're going to continue on with these abhorrent results yeah. in our kids. All right. So he says school environment that prioritizes career and never present religious vocation as an option. Neighborhoods where churches are zoned out. Okay, so now you have people that live in neighborhoods where you used to have churches that were able to be kind of right where you are. People could walk mm -hmm. to church. So now they're zoned out. And I, I almost feel like there's a twofold meaning there. <laughs> right. Like neighborhoods, it's churches can out. be zoned out, but they can also be zoned out. Right. Right. Okay. Right. So anyway, churches that are preaching more political sermons 
than they are preaching the challenges of family and adolescence. Talk about that a little bit, Will the Great. I think this is what you were alluding to earlier. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think we put our hope in things like that and it's, you know, to our detriment, you know, instead of of more of a focus on, I think pastors need to uh, preach things like this, that discipleship should be happening in the home. Yes. And, And you can clearly preach it from the scriptures. Yes. You know, man, there's so many examples. And so I think there should be an emphasis on this happening in, in the home for sure. So he looks at um, what's being preached in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. Then he also looks at the explosion of the consumption of pornography among our youth. Mm. Now, listen to this. He also points to social media, which increasingly is connecting young children to the social world of older children Hmm. in a totally unsupervised platform. Mm. Now, we used to say, I want you to think about this. And, and I think most parents will understand, and even grandparents will understand this reference here. We used to say, no, you're not going with that group of people. Mm-hmm. We used to say, no, you cannot go to the mall and hang out with those people. Right. No, you're not going to go to that party. So we would put these, these <laughs> fences up. We would put these safeguards in place. However, mm-hmm. the party and the mall crowd... Mm-hmm are now coming in through social media. Or even, like, those kids are a little older, so you don't need to be hanging with them. Yes, like, that's not yes. Your, like, we were told that. Like, no, you can't. Or, what you do can't, you have in common with right, those kids? Yeah, exactly. Or if you're older, uh, they're too young to be right. hanging out. What like, do you have in common with those kids? Exactly. Yeah, and so now, though, we don't say that. Mm. Now we've got our little kids watching older kids Mm -hmm. and we've got our slightly older kids watching even older kids and developing their vernacular from these kids, developing the way that they interact with one another. Mm -hmm. This is how they make sense of the world. So this is a socialization (laughs) that we now realize is actually pulling them away from the faith. So how in the world can we be inside our families while our kids are on multiple devices Mm -hmm. and not know the content they're consuming? I mean, this is the snake that we don't see. This is the snake out in the garden that we don't detect because it's not the anaconda. Wow. Wow. That's such a great description. I mean, think about it. Of a snake. You can see him in the grass. Well, you can't see him. Right. But slithering around. Yes. And before you know it, he's right on your heels. Yes. Yes. And I think that's what's happened with our kids. Here's what Lyman Stone says. The reality is that the last 30 years have seen a dramatic diminution of parental influence in general as kids spend more of their life in childcare settings, at school, and online. In other words, what Lyman Stone is saying here is that parents have lost their influence. We, we have abdicated our role as those who are to be the influencers over our children. And they, we, by default, we have presented to them new influencers, which incredibly to me, they actually call themselves influencers. They're actually saying, here's who we are. And this is what we want to do in the lives of your children. Right. And man, you're so, so right. And that should be convicting to Mm -hmm. us all. You know, it should also evoke a uh, self-examination to see where we are and what we've been doing. If, if, if we have been like very lax in this process, but it also, in my mind, I'm thinking like, man, so is there hope? Like, Mm -hmm. how do you begin to turn this ship around? You know, like what, what, what can we do? Especially if you feel like you've lost ground, Mm -hmm. uh, you haven't been doing this. It seems like, man, is it too late now? 
That's a great question. Lyman Stone puts it this way. He says, for parents to keep their kids in the faith, they must recapture their influence. Hmm. Shield children from school schooling environments that relegate faith to a second-class topic, deny access to unsupervised online communities and pornography, hmm. and this is my favorite here, have daily parent-led activities centered on family solidarity around a shared faith. Hmm. I cannot stress how important it is for us to see what the Bible presents to us in the living together as a family. It's the going and the doing together that as you are living, and we often point to this when we look at Deuteronomy 6, mm -hmm. it is as you are going, as you are living together, as you are choosing to do certain things and choosing not to do other things where the question is provoked, why? Mm. Why are we doing this? Why don't we consume this kind of content? Why don't we go to these kinds of parties? Why don't we gather in this way? And then we have the opportunity to say, well, we do things differently because you know what? Once we were slaves to sin, mm. <laughs> once we were slaves to sin, but the yeah. Lord has redeemed us by the Amen. blood of Jesus Christ. And so we want to make much of him and making much of him is not so much what we say with our words. It's how we live with our lives also. It's yeah. what we do. We want to demonstrate this. Look, we often want to get to 1 Peter 3.15. <laughs> we want to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. But can I tell you, you are not getting to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, until you've walked through 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2, mm. which is all about countercultural living. I cannot yeah. stress that enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I see hope in is that you don't have to be a theologian to do what we're talking about. Is just being intentional where you are in your home. That's right. That's you know, right. It's, it's not that you have to know this and know that, which we should know, you know, what the word is saying and things like that. But it's like a lived out thing, Absolutely. you know, where you're saying, okay, I'm going to be present. I'm going to be there. I'm going to, you know, raise up my, my children in the admonition of the Lord. We're going to be hands-on. Mm -hmm. It's just a, 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 a refocusing on family. Well, the lived out thing makes what you know ready to be applied. Exactly. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's the living out. Like mm -hmm. it's so all of the things that we study and that we read and all of the things that we have learned over the years about who God is and how we are to live now that we are in him, this stuff is ready now to be applied yeah. to examples. So a life that is lived out. Mm-hmm in accordance with the faith that we profess so yes. often. And, and that's what we've seen. We've seen a disconnect in parents. They do not bring with them the actions to couple with what they say they believe. They mm -hmm. want to just preach to their kids. Mm -hmm. Like we, mm -hmm. we want to just tell our kids to believe. Right. We want to pump them with apologetics. So we want to pump them with a defense for the faith, but we don't want to instruct them to live in such a way that now they have to defend it. Wow. They're, wow. they're not living the faith. They yeah. don't need to defend it. Yeah. They don't need yeah. to ask. They don't need to be able to answer tough questions because they're not having tough questions asked of mm. them. And mm. why aren't they having these tough, que tough questions asked? Because they're not living the conviction that God calls for. Yeah. So wow. we've got to do it and we've got to encourage them to do it so that they're ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within them. In fact, Lyman Stone, and I'm going to leave it here after this. He says, families that do these things, the aforementioned things, still have extremely high rates of successful religious transmission. But families who trust that children will pick it up along the way fail to transmit their religious beliefs and suddenly find, to their great surprise, that their 20-somethings, their children in their 20s, mm -hmm. right, categorically reject the faith. Wow, very sobering. Very sobering. But there's there's hope. 
there's hope, you know, and as always, you know, we can cry out to God and mm -hmm. ask him to help us in, in doing this. And, and even if you feel like, man, my, my child is past 13 or is past certain age, how can I, man, today, like there's nothing impossible with God. And mm -hmm. so if you make up your mind, like, Lord, I want to do this. I want to be intentional. I want to raise up my children in his way. He will help. He will help you. You know, it's amazing. I think about um, what Lyman Stone was writing in his piece about where secularization begins and especially what he had to say about social media. And then I kind of compare that to Ken Ham's book in 2009, Already Gone. Mm. And I think about the time frame for the rise of the social media platforms. So you've got Facebook in 2006 that expanded and allowed for anyone with an email address who was 13 and up to be able to get on. So that's right. in 2006, right? Then you've got Instagram in 2010 and you've got YouTube in 2005. So at this point, and the point that I'm making here is this was pretty early on 2009 by mm -hmm. comparison to the start of these companies mm -hmm. and what would have been their eventual ubiquity that they would have been mm -hmm. in many different places right. or on people's radar by 2009, you still had enough time mm -hmm. to, to rein in social media use. Right. You still had enough time to say, okay, mm. you know, there's a problem here with our kids. What do we need to do? How do, do we, we need, need to respond? Right. You know? So look, here's the book, um, Ken Ham, Ken, Ken Ham's book, Already Gone. And, and by the way, this book was co-authored with a man named um, Britt Beamer. And uh, Todd Hillard is the, the name also contributing to this book. But this is how it begins. And this is so chilling, right? Like, if you think about this, it almost kind of has like a um, like a left behind kind of feel. <laughs> oh. You know what I mean? Like, just kind of very startling. But this is, this is how it starts. It says, I dare you. I dare you to try it this Sunday. Look to the right and look to the left. While the pastor's while the pastor delivers his message, while the worship team sings their song, while the youth pastor gives his announcements, look to the right and look to the left. Look at the children and look at the teens around you. Many of them will be familiar faces. They are the faces of your friends, sons and daughters. The faces of your friends, sons and daughters. They are the friends that your children bring home after youth group. Oh boy, they are your children. The ones who have been faithfully following you to church for years. Now imagine that two-thirds of them just disappeared. That's right, two-thirds of them. The ones who go to secular school, even those homeschooled or yeah. sent to Christian schools, the boys and the girls, the kids who are the leaders of the school's Bible club, the kids <laughs> who sit in the back row with their baseball cap pulled low over their eyes. Imagine that two thirds of them have just disappeared from your church. Yes. Look to the left and look to the right this Sunday. Put down your church bulletin. Look at those kids and imagine that two thirds of them aren't even there. Mm. Why? Because they are already gone. It's time to wake up and see the tidal wave washing away the foundations of your church. The numbers are in and they don't look good. From across Christendom, the reports are the same. A mass exodus is underway. Most youth of today will not be coming to church tomorrow. Wow. Th again, <laughs> why am I? Because this is 2009. Right. Okay, so this is 2009. We're 2023 here. Like, if <laughs> if the words could have been chilling then 
and heated then. And the reason I say heated then is because the book goes through chapters of executable steps so that we could stop this. Mm. So, so that we could say, okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Right. All right, here we go. Um, it's time to wake up and see the tidal wave washing away the foundation of your church. And it's not just happening on the normal or the nominal fringe. It's happening at the core of the faith. Is that just a grim prediction? Is that just the latest arm twisting from reactionary conservatives who are trying to instill fear in the parents and the teachers of the next generation? No, it's not just a prediction. It's a reality. And it will document, and as will document clearly from commissioned, professional, and statistically valid research later in this book, you'll see that it's already happening, just like it did in England. It's happening here in North America. Now, when I read information like that, mm -hmm. you know, I think, Lord, have mercy on us. Yeah. Help us to recognize what is actually going on with our kids. You know, the, mm -hmm. the data that's included in this book back in 2009 is the result of research from George Barna. <laughs> wow. Wow. So Barna's got research out in 2023 <laughs> where he's talking about what it's going to take to raise spiritual champions. But he had research out in 2009 suggesting the same. <laughs> and it, it seems like nothing Man, has changed. It seems like we just didn't either. We didn't believe it or we just didn't want it to be true. Yeah. And some may say, I, well, I didn't know, you know, and that may be true as well. But I, I think, man, the, the alarm has been sounded many times. And I can't, you know, I just think about Jeremiah, <laughs> the Jeremiads, you know, mm, uh, yes. speaking out, crying out and saying, hey, look, this is what's coming, y'all. This is what, what is coming. But there is a stiff necked people, you know, who just didn't want to listen. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, when they when they end up in captivity to Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, when they're in Babylon, it's like, oh, what he was saying was true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and there were some parents who did heed the call. And that, therefore, that's how you get Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Misael, you know, and they were ready to go into Babylon. But he was crying out for years, preaching, saying this is what's coming. But a lot of people didn't listen. You know, it's interesting that in 2009, Ken Ham was taking sort of like a, um, I don't know what do you, we'd call it, like a, a chiseling knife <laughs> to some of the things that have become foundational in our churches. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he was looking at was the effects of Sunday school on kids, mm -hmm. right? There are two different kinds of kids who are leaving the church. And he identified those kids. And then he identified why the church had lost its relevance to kids, mm. those who had left, why the church lost its relevance. He also explored in his book solutions to why kids were leaving the church. Mm -hmm. And one of those things I thought was he talked about apologetics and he talked about the ability for kids to be able to defend the authority of God's word. This is something that we cannot overlook. Our kids, yes, we want them to have robust apologetics, but part of the defense for the authority of God's word is that they see their parents living it out. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, what is happening in our culture, and <laughs> it's still happening, this not much has changed since 2009, is that our kids are not living out God's authoritative word because they don't believe it to be authoritative. Mm. And then also parents are not living it out. So kids have no example of seeing it lived out. Look, when we start talking about a biblical worldview, 
We're not talking about a set of beliefs that you claim. When we talk about a biblical worldview, we are talking about every way that you live based on what you believe. Yeah. One of the things that Ken Ham says wow. in this book is that you can't see beliefs. You only see beliefs in people's actions. Wow. That's true. That's true. Man, that, that's I so mean, true. right? By what, by what we're doing. Yeah. You know, it's not just, you know, what you say or what, but what is being done. And I think the ball is in our court now. It's yes. been in our court as parents, as Christians, you know, what are we going to do with this information? And we don't want to get, you know, 10 years down the line again and say, oh man, you know, and there's another study, mm -hmm. you know, exactly. It, it's like, man, now, now is the time. What are we going to do? Yeah. One of the things that he looks at is Sunday school and I guess by extension, the youth group. And so, one, you know, we've been talking about this and we have youth pastors who have reached out to us and said they've lamented yeah. that parents want them to work miracles. Parents right. want us to do things <laughs> in one night that Man. they're not doing all week. Right. Yeah, it's not and it's not fair. You know, <laughs> we cannot expect them to work miracles. They're not here for that. They're here to come alongside what's happening already in the home. That's right. That's so, right. Yeah. You know, it's 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 one of these thoughts that um the youth group and the youth minister in church and even the pastor, listen, that's supposed to be a supplement to what is happening in our own personal lives and happening at home. But parents are getting upset. So imagine this is this is the um, this is the outrage. Mm -hmm. The outrage is you don't feed your kid any food at home, <laughs> and the youth minister shows up with vitamins, and <laughs> then you accuse the youth minister of not feeding the kid well. You're like, what wow. are you doing? My kid is undernourished. Like I I don't. My kid is emaciated spiritually speaking. And the youth pastor is like, so what do you feed him at home? Right. Right. What is your kid eating at home? And the parents are like, well, I mean, you know, like, I mean, we might have, I mean, we might have a bowl of cereal, you know, <laughs> once a week. And we say, this is a quick little devotion. Mm. We, we might, I mean, we mm. give them a sandwich, you know, on a Wednesday night, you know, maybe we pray around a meal or something like that. The point that I'm making is this, we cannot expect those supplements to replace the full meal. Yeah. Yeah. And the meal right. was always, it was always in the purview of the scriptures that discipleship would happen in the home primarily. And that is an expression of that. Then you would go out, you would go to church together and go to church. That's not a biblically <laughs> original phrase, right? We are the church, but that we would gather as the saints because of a commonality. And yeah. what is that commonality? We are redeemed. Amen. We are in Christ. Amen. One of the other things that was pointed out in Ken Ham's book 15 years ago was that we needed faith and facts. We want our kids <laughs> to believe, but we also want to remind them that our faith is rooted in evidence, mm. right? That you've got firsthand accounts. I'm thinking of, um, I'm thinking of the apostle Peter, how in his second letter and this man, this is, I, I, I want to turn to it here, but you have the apostle Peter in his second letter and he says that the putting off of his body is soon, right? Mm. So he recognizes that he is about to die. And under the leading of the Holy Spirit, he writes that he wants to leave with them an account that they will always be able to refer to, right? And this is in chapter one. I'm going to look at two um, passages here that I think are so important. And this may be where we come to rest because uh, I can toggle in something else that Ken Ham said 15 years ago <laughs> with this particular passage. But this is what the Apostle Peter wrote. He says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. Mm. In other words, I'm about to die. Mm. 
I'm about to die, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So the Lord has revealed to me that the putting off of my body is soon. He says, and I will also be diligent that as any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. This is incredible when you think about the Apostle Peter. It has been revealed to him that he doesn't have much longer on this earth. And so he wants to take all of his firsthand knowledge. He wants to take all of these things that are actual factuals of the faith, and he wants to leave them for the church. As he is carried along by the Holy Spirit, (laughs) this is what he does. But then this is what happens in um, verse 16 here. The Apostle Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Hmm. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Verse 20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by any act. I'm sorry, by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy spirit spoke from God. So one, we have the assurance of facts associated with our faith. Mm -hmm. Number one, number two, the Bible is not a collection of men's thoughts. And why is this important? Because one of the things that Ken Ham points out in his book in 2009, the reason that they were already gone is that they didn't believe the scriptures were reliable. Mm -hmm. They didn't believe they could trust God's word. In fact, one of the (laughs) objections given by the teenagers back during the time that this research and this data is being collected, one of the objections is that the Bible is written by men. Mm. Can you imagine if we could show up for our kids and say, men wrote as they were carried along. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. The Holy Spirit preserved the text. The Holy Spirit got to us what God wanted us to know about who he is, our transgression of his righteous commands, and the fact that we can be restored to him through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. As it is, we ourselves, in many instances, don't have that assurance. Yeah, and so we can't expect our children to have that faith as well. So the thing is, it, it goes back to us to as the parents to be parents, to raise them up in the way of the Lord, to provide those answers from the scriptures. You know, there are there are questions that our children do have and but the Bible has the answers if we would only engage them and, and take the time to do it. And so yeah, it 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 just shows us how important that, that relationship is that is happening in the home because once they get out, before they get out, they're gone. But once they're out there, it's like, man, then you have your higher educational systems who are just going to try to destroy it even further. So mm. the thing is, you know, it has to happen in the home at a young age and even younger now, because man, this culture is, 
not playing any games. No, absolutely not. You know, one other thing, and there's so much more that I thought I would have time to go through looking back on this book, so much to provoke us to making sure that we transmit the faith well. Um, but I do want to say this. One of the things that, because we're talking about biblical authority issues, mm-hmm. Ken Ham says this, those of us who were born again or who are born again Christians believe that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. After all, as Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, quote, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. <laughs> we believe, and end quote, he says, we believe as real historical fact that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you a question. How do you know Jesus Christ rose from the dead? You were not there and you don't have a movie rerun. So how do you know? He says, because the Bible says that's how. We accept the Bible, that it is the revealed word of God, that it is inerrant, that it is inspired and God breathed revelation from our creator. And as such, we let God's word speak to us through this written word. If it is history, we take it as history. We don't try to force our ideas onto God's word. We let it speak to us in the language and context in which it is written. Man, there's so much more that I want to say. I'm going to just, because of time, leave it here. But I want to say this. We have some actionable steps Mm -hmm. that we can implement so that we don't have to continue losing our kids to this culture. Number one, we must recognize that secularization is happening at home. It's no longer the they out there. Right. It's not them. It's us. Right. It's like, man, what is it? I've seen the I've seen the future. I've seen the problem or something like that. And the problem is me. So Mm. so we've got to look inside our homes and figure out where the breaches are, where are the places where the little garden snakes or whatever (laughs) are getting in and and where are the small foxes Mm. that are destroying the vine? We've got to watch for those things. I think the big things, if if you want to describe it in that way, we're able to identify, but where are the small breaches? Let's shore that up. Let's put in the work of spending time with our kids and living life with them. If, If our heart is bent toward how we get rid of them, then there is a ready waiting culture who says, oh, you're not going to eat that? <laughs> no, can I have it? And in fact, they're not even so nice so as to say, can I have it? They're just taking it, right? And, and you see the minds of our kids kind of going to the highest bidder or or that person who is most engaged, wow. right? That's yeah. where our kids are going. So anyway, I believe that there is work to do. Um, I don't think this is fatal. I don't think it's over for us. I think we've got to get in the fight and I think we've got to be vigilant. When we do that, we couple all of the things that we've said across two podcasts here and we do that work, we resist the cultural trends <laughs> that attack the truth. We will remain culture proof. We'll culture proof our kids. We'll pass the faith on to them intact, mm-hmm. intact, that they may be waiting for the Lord's return with us yes. as we wait for his return. Yes. All right. We are well out of time until tomorrow. Lord willing. God bless.